Please open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. What a prayer for God to have absolute sway over our entire being. Please stand with me as we read God's word today. We're just going to read three verses. Hebrews 10, verses 23 through 25. As we read God's word, may he have absolute sway over us. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Lord God, thank you for your word. We pray you would change us this day. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. God does not make salvation deals in secret with people. God does not make salvation deals in secret with people. Each Christian is a part of the Christian church, the body of Christ, even if they don't join a church, or if they refuse to identify with a certain congregation, or they neglect the fellowship and worship of the group they're linked to. Whether you've been a Christian for a long time, or you're new to the faith, or you're not yet a believer, you need to know this. When we're in relationship with God, it's personal, and it is intimate, but it is not private. It is not private. We are family in Christ. We're family. Olive Garden said it, didn't they? When you're here, you're family. John Donne said it, no man is an island. We are family. When we become Christians, we are brothers and sisters in faith. But this does not mean that we are all one big happy family. Some of our siblings are mean. And some of our siblings in Christ are mean. One person told me this week, I love Christians. But they don't all act like Christians. Isn't that the truth? We don't stop being sinners the moment we're born again spiritually. But if God is our Father, then we are family. Brothers and sisters. Brethren. And the question is not whether I will be a part of the community of faith. The question is... How will I live and grow with this community of faith? Within this community of faith. And in the midst of our study of Hebrews, we are in week two of a a three-week mini-series entitled The Christ-Centered Life, Family, and Church. And we're looking at the three exhortations here in Hebrews chapter 10. Let us draw near. We saw that last week. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. And also, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. And each week, we're asking four questions. What is it in theory? What does it look like in practice? What hinders us? What are the challenges? And then what are the benefits? What are the blessings that God brings as a result? As it relates to us individually, 
as households and also as the household of God, as the church. Now, I mentioned it last week, but basically what it is in theory is the theology of it, the objective truth of it, and what it looks like in practice is different, and while it needs to be based on the theology, it can't be raised to the level of doctrine. It's subjective. Now, my aim is to remind us of our purpose as a church, which we need to keep before us all the time, and also to cast some vision more specifically and be inspired by God of a vision of what could be, and then also to define some ministry concepts a little more clearly as they relate to age-integrated or multi-generational ministry. Now, last week, we looked at the idea of of the exhortation of, let us draw near. We looked at the idea of worship. Now, today, it's the concept of spiritual growth. Seen in the exhortation in Hebrews 10.24, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. So first of all, what is it? What is it in theory? What does it mean to consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds? Well, the context is the community of faith, and the goal relates to our fellow believers, and the command to consider implies thoughtful perception and serious concern. We're thinking deeply about how we can do this before we get to that situation. It starts in the heart and the mind and it flows out in the life. And the idea is one of growing together in Christ. How do we grow together? We trust God to do a work of grace in each heart. We want to cooperate with what God is doing in us and through us. Now, our purpose as a church, as I mentioned last week, points to these things. Obviously, we say we want to worship God. The second thing we say we want to do is build up the believer. That's what we're talking about today. How do we build up the believers, uh, each other, in such a way that we grow together in Christ? Now, our vision statement as well points to it. We want to become a worshiping body of biblically equipped believers. Now, this immediate goal of considering, as we consider, it's this mental exercise spoken of in verse 24. The immediate goal is to help other people. Not to help us, but to help others. And God intends for us to be growing together in community with one another. Helping each other grow in Christ. Literally, the idea, though, is one of provoking others. Provoking. Uh, The word is used negatively. Uh, It's translated contention. Do you remember in Acts 15 when Paul and Barnabas had such a serious disagreement that they separated from one another? Same word. The same Greek word is used in Acts 17 when Paul's spirit was provoked within him as he viewed the city uh, full of idols in Athens. The Greek word is a combination of two words which means to sharpen beside. To sharpen beside, which implies a stimulation that is going on. In Proverbs 27, 17, Solomon said, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. That's the intent, the writer of Hebrews here in verse 24. The basic idea is us keeping each other on our toes as we make progress, as we hopefully make progress in the Christian life. Keeping ourselves on our toes in our common life in Christ and our pursuit of Christ-likeness through what I would call premeditated love and concern. 
premeditated love and concern. Thinking about it beforehand. Thinking of ways we can keep each other on track with Jesus. Planning out ways to build one one another up rather than tear one another down. Put simply, it's the idea of uh, paying attention to each other. That's not a hard thing to do, is it? Oh, yeah, yeah, it is. Paying attention to each other versus paying attention to what's going on either in our own minds or in our own agendas. But see, paying attention to each other is community. You want a good definition of community? It's paying attention to one another. A place where each person is taken seriously. Where they learn to trust each other. Where they depend on each other. Where they are compassionate toward one another. Where they rejoice together. Where they, they weep together. Second Peter 3.18 says that we are to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And it's not just a me and Jesus thing. It's not just me and Jesus. It's bigger than that. Last week, I gave you a little picture of these concentric circles. It's kind of a pebble that gets thrown into the water and it ripples out where it starts with our relationship with Jesus. It, it branches out into our family and then into our small group and then into the church and into the community. And I spoke about how we shouldn't leapfrog over one to go to another. We've got to take care of our first responsibilities and then trust God to do what he's going to do in our lives. So what does it look like? What does it look like in practice to spur one another on to love and good deeds? Uh, I think we tend to think of growth in terms of Bible knowledge. Many of us do that. We, we tend to think of, hey, so-and-so is growing in the faith. They're really in the Word. That's where it starts. That's a part of the process, but it doesn't stop there. 1 Corinthians 8.1 tells us that knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. And so if I just had a bunch of knowledge of the Bible and it doesn't get into my life, I become arrogant rather than loving. In Luke 2.52, we, we read that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature in, bo- in favor with both God and man. God causes the growth. But it's not just what we know, it's, it's how what we know gets into our, our life and our actions. The identifiable in our life. The idea is this. A true knowledge of God will lead to a truly changed life. You can be assured. A true knowledge of God leads to a truly changed life. The word of God changes us. I referred to our ministry thrusts that are on the back wall last week. And there's another one there that I want you to look at. We desire, it says, to teach for transformation. To teach for transformation, to utilize the strength of our teaching of biblical truth to focus on transformation of lives. You see, we teach, God transforms. We present the truth in many spheres, in our homes to one another, in our small groups with one another, here in preaching settings or in teaching settings amongst believers, but God does the transforming. And the goal of our mutual consideration to stimulate one another is to to spur one another on to act in ways that go along with being followers of Christ. That's simple. And two things that we are to spur one another on to is love and good deeds. Love and good deeds. Love and good works. 
And there's a reason for this. It's a reason for this based on a classical Greek ethic. A classical Greek ethic that in life, a good example will provoke being emulated or copied. That people want to imitate good behavior. And they don't want to imitate bad behavior. We see it in the, in the Proverbs. It even talks about children. It says, even a child is known by his actions whether his conduct is good and right. So are we. But the Christian life, as I spoke about last week, is more caught than taught. You catch by example. So what we do will either back up or pull the rug out from under what we say we believe. This is true in our homes, and this is true in our church. Think, of, think with me for a moment. The biblical family. A, a, a scripturally ordained household of parents, children, and others. Singles, widows, divorcees, grandparents, etc. Form the God-ordained building blocks of the church. And in our homes and in the church, and everything in between, we need good honest, humble examples of what it means to follow Jesus. See, the younger generation needs to be blessed with the spiritual knowledge and the experience of the older generation through God's word, through prayer, through fellowship, through reaching out together as as families and as groups of families. One of the things we're going to do this fall is have some uh, pilot home groups where all generations are together, from the oldest to the youngest. Because in those kind of settings, and even in impromptu gatherings, but in, even in planned out settings and impromptu gatherings where believers get together and multiple generations interact, God does something among us as we open up the word, as we pray, as we interact and share our lives, as we rejoice with each other, as we weep with one another. God does changing in our life, and we grow. There are are two means of this stimulation or provocation mentioned in Hebrews 10.25. Look at verse 25, if you will. It says, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the two means are being together, or associating with one another, don't forsake the assembly of believers, and the other is sharing truth in love. It's encouragement. So I want to try and unpack these two ideas a bit. When when you think about the book of Hebrews and you come to this verse, what you realize is that the writer was was addressing a, a common problem. Some think it was the primary problem, in, for the Hebrews, but we don't know that for sure. But there were some early Christians that were dropping out of the fellowship. They were following their own interests. Um, and so a pastor wrote to them. A pastor wrote to them and encouraged them to stay engaged. Even when things were not to their liking or not comfortable, they were to stay engaged and foster community and, uh, rather than uh, disharmony. It was more a matter of... Uh, It was more than simple neglect. They weren't just neglecting the fellowship. They were wrongfully abandoning it. 
See, the object of this abandonment was the assembly of Christians as a worshiping and growing community. That's where they were to grow together. That's when God started the church, when they were all together. They were to practice the discipline of of Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 and verse 14. If you want to read that with me. It says, we're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. That was the pattern that God had laid out. You see, weakness comes from division. Togetherness fosters unity and strength. If there is separation physically or relationally, there can be no mutual encouragement. Let me give you two effects of associating with one another and exhorting one another. The first is this, helping people find their way, helping people find their way in the body of Christ. And it it has the idea of encouraging, of helping, of including, of folding people in. Now, several people have said something to me since I've been here at Grace. I love this fellowship. Several people have said something to me. They said, you know, we're really good at being friendly. We're not good at being friends. We're really good at being friendly. We're not good at being friends. But see, true biblical fellowship is about going beyond being friendly and becoming friends, not just with our group, but with those and others that come into the body, that come into the fold. You see, we can say, well, I'm good at being friends with my buddies. But the idea is being friendly and then becoming friends with others. A lot of us say, well, but my friendship quota is already filled. You say, well, you know, maybe God wants you to to branch out a bit. To be willing to share of ourselves, that's true biblical fellowship. And not just with those we choose to be buddies with. Welcoming, inviting, including rather than excluding. The early church had new people coming to faith every day. And if you think it's only an issue that we or the American church deal with, you might want to think again. Go to Acts chapter 9 with me. Acts chapter 9. See, they had new people coming to faith every day, but they weren't all befriended. So if you've come to grace and you feel like the initial pop was friendly, and then you went, where are my friends? Where are my new friends that I thought I was going to make? You're not alone. Now, I hope it doesn't stay that way, but let me share with you something that happened to the Apostle Paul. See, when Paul became a believer, 
early Christians viewed him with suspicion. They looked at him and said, there's no way that that guy can be a believer in Jesus. We know what he's done. We've got the dossier on him. We've got his background. We've got the file. We know. And they would not associate with him. You ever go to a church and you feel like you're invisible? They wouldn't associate with him. Look at verse 26 of Acts chapter 9. It says, when he came to Jerusalem, that's Paul coming to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. Now, I'm sure people don't go running from you, but at times you might feel a little, you know, invisible. But look what happens, verse 27. See, we need a whole church of Barnabases. Sons and daughters of encouragement. It says that in verse 27, but Barnabas, one guy out of the whole place, Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, how he had talked to him, and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. Now look at verse 28. And he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. What happened? In, you know, in the scriptures, it's one verse. In verse 26, he was an outcast. Verse 27, someone takes him along because in verse 28, he's moving about freely. He's part of the fellowship. He needed a Barnabas to come along and put his arm around him and say, you know what, this guy's for real. This guy's my brother. You see, they treated him as an outsider. Barnabas treated him as the brother that he was. That's how God wants us to treat each other. People people are not problems to be managed. (laughs) But isn't that sometimes how we treat each other? As problems to be managed? As issues to be categorized? People are not to be labeled and categorized. Don't you hate it when it happens to you? You know how it feels to be labeled or to feel like you're being labeled. It hurts to the core. But God is at work in us. One of the things about growing together in Christ is that every day there is an expectancy that God will change me and God will change you. That God will change us. Because we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. God is at work in us to conform us to the image of Jesus, but we're sitting here today with things on our mind about other people in the body, and we, are, we have a list of things that we have labeled them and categorized them, and I think God is saying to us, let me be God. You take care of loving each other. Let me be God. You take care of loving each other. See, a crucial aspect of growing together in Christ is that daily expectation that God is at work in me and you, changing us. So me showing up here today, I wasn't the man I was a week ago. Now, I may have have regressed, (laughs) okay? But I'm not the same guy that was here a week ago. And you're not either. Um, We can look with hope on each other. Look with eyes of hope, even on the most hopeless as we see it. Think about Paul the next time. 
Think about Paul and Barnabas. We don't want to label anybody. We, we need to refuse that. We need to refuse to predict our brother's behavior or our sister's growth. Each person in the community is unique, specially loved by God and led by the Holy Spirit. So how can we presume to jump to conclusions about anybody? Now there's a second outflow of our common association and I love the picture this gives. It's this, showering others with kindness. Doesn't it feel good to take a shower uh, after when you're grimy? Well, doesn't it feel good to be showered with kindness? When, some, when you just are, are being overwhelmed by someone else's kindness... Think about how good you feel, how special you feel. That's what we ought to be doing for one another. We don't always do this, but each member in the body of Christ needs the other members. And it's a multi-generational thing. It's the whole, a whole body of Christ living and breathing and sharing and ministering as individuals and families. You see, God designed his church to be a spiritual family of families. Where members know one another intimately. Where shepherds shepherd effectively and understand the sheep and the various body parts function interactively. Let me give you some ideas of what it means to, to shower one another with kindness. Here's one. It's a tough one for me, okay? And that's why I'm sharing it. It means giving each other the benefit of the doubt. Well, you could say, well... That's easy with my friends. Of course it is. The people you like. I mean, people I like, you know, that's like easy to give you the benefit of the doubt. But if I don't like you, man, that's the toughest thing in the world for me to do. I want to tighten the screws. Think about it for a moment. The people we like, benefit of the doubt, carte blanche. People we don't like, (laughs) no way in the world. We want them to answer. We want them to be held accountable. And then what about the new people who come in and we just kind of presume upon their intentions. We kind of guess what, what they're all about before we know anything about them. And you, we know how we are. We, we view by appearance, by the outward appearance, and that's how we make our conclusions about people. Have you noticed that? I have so many times in my life, I have judged someone wrongly before I ever knew them. And when I got to know them, some of my closest friends are people that when I first saw them, I thought, ooh, arrogant. I mean, you know how it is. Come on, let's be honest. I'm, gonna, I'm being honest with you. I look at people sometimes and I, and I make a judgment based upon looks, not based upon heart. Cutting some slack. Let's cut each other some slack. Grace. Whoa. Let's talk about the name of this church. Grace Church. If at Grace Church, now I came from Voyager's Bible Church, you know that. So I, I used to encourage people to say, remember, this is not Voyager's, I forgot my Bible church, okay? <laughs> now, what it's going to be at Grace, though, is this is Grace Church. If we're go- let's, let's live up to our name. Let's show some grace. There's a lot of grace. And I think our name reminds us of that often. Um, it's about helping people. And it's also about helping each other when we're in need. 
I want you to do something right now. I want you to um, open up your bulletins and take out the little insert that's in there that says, we love because he first loved us. And we have a team here called the care team. And I want you, you can read this later, but I want you to flip over the back. There's some ways that God opens the door for the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us and bring praise to God. And often it is in the, the, the least of these type categories. It is also in the quiet, unassuming. Many of you minister quietly and faithfully and no one notices. And I try to notice you, by the way. I try to notice when someone is doing something, and I know others in the body do that. Isn't it great to be thanked when you don't think anyone saw? Not for the, you know, the, the reward, but just for the fact that, you know what, someone noticed that I was doing that thing. But I want you to look at this piece of paper, and if you can help somebody drive, and get somewhere, check the box. If you can deliver a meal or prepare a meal, check the box. If you can go to a convalescent home and visit, check the box. If you can do yard work or child care or be a handyman or housework or visit or, or visit people in prison, check, just check the box. Just take a moment right now and ch- just check the box because this, these are ways that we can help each other grow in community and spur one another on to love and good deeds. And we'll just compile a list and you will get called. You will be called. Called upon in a time of need. That's what the body of Christ should be doing. I love it if someone's got a fence to fix, that someone helps them fix their fence. If someone's roof is leaking, let's go help each other fix our roof. As long as you know how to do it. <laughs> the, it this all points, and I want, I want you to turn this in at, at the end of the service, okay? Just leave it, you can leave it on your chair if you want, or you can give it to me up in front, or Norm in the back. This, this is the priesthood of believers in action. That we are each other's uh, encouragers and pastors and shepherds and, and even teachers together. Helping, encouraging, giving biblically sound wise counsel and all the rest. But what hinders us in this pursuit? What's the roadblocks that are in the way? We can find a lot of them, okay? I know that. But our time is short and so I gave a couple. Here's one, out-of-balanced lives. And I told you last week, I will be exhibit A, okay? (laughs) Several years ago, USA Today did a a, a short series of articles on the 10 hardest things to do in sports. And they were things like riding the Tour de France, driving a race car at 200 miles an hour, um, hitting a long uh, straight tee shot in golf, or hitting a 95-mile-per-hour fastball. Those were tough things. But it was interesting that all ten things had one thing in common. They all required a degree of balance to accomplish. You had to be tuned and in balance and ready to do that thing. Well, balance is also required in the, in the Christian life, in the Christ-centered life. And when we're out of balance, we can't engage. We can't appropriately do what we're called to do. But most of us are overstretched, overcommitted, Therefore, overstressed and overcome with all life's worries and to-do lists and so forth and so on and so forth. And we are, are, are part of what is called frantic family syndrome. Exhibit A, standing right before you. The issue is this. We live two busy lives. And it leads to bondage. It leads to how, 
uh, have-tos and obligation and, and the like rather than a life of freedom in Christ. And here's the encouragement I want to give you. We don't have to do what everybody thinks we need to do. We don't have to do even what we, the pressure we put on ourselves. And that doesn't mean that we're to disengage from involvement and commitment in the body, okay? Don't hear me wrong. But it, be, it should be that we should want what God wants more than what we or others want. We must please God rather than men. There's another issue. We live performance-oriented lives. And that leads to unrealistic doing versus the authentic, authenticity of realistic being in Christ. And the encouragement is, we do not have to look like the perfect Christian. And we do not have to look like the perfect Christian family. You think you're all messed up? Well, so am I. And so are we, right? We're all in the same boat. We're just at different uh, points along the, the continuum, but we're all messed up. And we're only changed by grace. But let's just be honest with who we are and where we are in a journey of faith and practice and be the right people in the right places for the right reasons. What else hinders us? And this is where it gets sticky. The plane is coming in for a landing in a moment, but you got to hear this one. Inappropriate communication. Ouch. Yes, inappropriate communication. Things like gossip and slander and being a busybody, which means trying to run other people's lives. That hinders true fellowship of the Acts chapter 2, verse 42 kind, where they were all together and sharing things in common. And none of us are immune. It starts in the heart. The mouth, Jesus says, speaks out of that which fills the heart. So when I engage in inappropriate communication, it's because it filled my heart first. If a cup is filled to the brim with sweet water, no matter how you jostle it or make it spill out, it will not spill a drop of bitter water. We need to have our tongues under the authority of Jesus. James 3 says the tongue is a restless evil and it's full of deadly poison. In 1984, I was uh, bit by a brown recluse spider. My leg swelled up a lot bigger than it is now. And I was taken to the hospital. And the doctor said, if you weren't young and strong, you'd be dead. Poison kills. You want to look at some verses later, I want to give you a couple. Read Psalm 15. Just jot these down. Psalm 15. Romans chapter 16, verses 17 and 18. The Proverbs tell us, he who goes about as a talebearer or a slanderer reveals secrets. And it says, don't associate with them. If there's someone who's a so-called brother and sister that goes around as a talebearer and reveals secrets, stay away. They're bad news. A gossip reveals secrets. A slanderer makes false charges and misrepresentations that defame and damage reputations. It comes from the pit of hell, not from God. Some of us right now are feeling guilty. Let's let the chips fall where they may. I've been guilty of this. I can, I can confess the confession of Isaiah. I am a man of unclean lips. 
and I live among a people of unclean lips. And only by the grace of God can we operate as we are supposed to operate as the body of Christ. I know I've got your attention, and I will say this. The tongue is a fire. And there's a picture, I think, here. We have two, two options. We're either going to burn it down or build it up. And that's individual lives and families and the church. Let me give you a general rule that I try to live by. You know that Ephesians 4.29? By the way, I said I try to live by. All right? Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification. Building up believers. Goal of Grace Church. So that it may give grace to those who hear. I don't do that all the time. I'm guilty. Okay? But as a general rule, if you can't wait to say it, don't. (laughs) And if you're dreading saying it, say it. And if you're angry, don't send the letter. Don't send the email. It's in writing. (laughs) Because you'll end up regretting it. Can we promise each other something today, right here? That no one will speak evil of anyone behind their back. That's a good one, isn't it? That no one will speak evil of anyone behind their back or or in front of their face. The evil speaking. Can we do that? See, we have an enemy that would love nothing more than for us to consume each other by doing that. Our enemy, 1 Peter tells us, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Ephesians 4 encourages us to not give the devil a foothold, an opportunity to mess us up. See, if we're to be growing together in Christ, we need to be going in the same direction. Becoming more like Christ, becoming more solid in the truth, not to toss to and fro. So what are the benefits? What are the benefits? The blessings. I find the answer in a song, a letter, and a gospel. I'm going to go quick here, but first a song. Psalm 133, verse 1. We should sing this song together. Not right now. We'll sing it in our lives. Here's what it says. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. I'll paraphrase. How awesome it is when people get along. When people get along. That's the deal. The benefit is people get along. Implying what we do know so well, it's hard to get along. One of the hardest things we will do in the body of Christ is get along with our brothers and sisters. We're a family. It happens. Unity and getting along. Uh, If you ever want to do a good study, take a look at the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and a great example for us of relational unity. But brothers and sisters fight in the family and in the family of God. But we are to be allies, not competitors. We're on the same team. And then there's a letter, a letter that gives us an answer in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. 
And he gave, God gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Equipping the saints. One benefit is people are equipped. They're fully able to do what God intends. And I am called to equip the saints for work of service in my role first so that you can minister works of service in your own homes and then in the body. And then there's a gospel that gives us a clue as well, and it's the words of Jesus in John chapter 13. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, he says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have loved one for another. It's going to affect our witness. And the cross of Christ is what makes it possible. See, God is honored when we do life together in Christ as it ought to be. The cross of Christ makes it all possible. I know it's hard to be Christ-centered when you have to deal with people, but that's how God set it up. That's how others will know. Others in our family, others in the church, and others outside the fold. That's how they'll know, and they will be led to glorify God as they observe our good works as we grow together. See, our community with one another rests on solely on what Christ does in and through us. Because of Jesus, we'll grow together. Let's pray. Lord God, we want to grow Lord God, we want to, to live in your truth. We want to grow in community. And it is so tough for us, Lord, because we're just not sometimes wired that way. We pray, Lord, you'll do some rewiring of our hearts that we would, that we would do what you have called us to. For all for your glory. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.